Welcome to the Healthcare Download with VMG Health. We are the leaders in strategy and transaction advisory dedicated to finding solutions for the healthcare industry. In each episode, we will leverage our expertise to provide trends and timely updates about what is happening on the business side of healthcare so you can move your strategy forward. In this episode, three physician compensation arrangement trends you can expect in 2024, I will be speaking with Ben Ulrich, who is both my friend and colleague. Ben and I are both managing directors in BMG Health's compensation division, and we have been working together for over 10 years. Hello, Ben. How are you? Hi, Jen. I'm good. I'm good. I'm super excited. This is such a successful, awesome podcast. I don't know why you invited me. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, But I do have to correct you. It's actually been 15 years of working together. That is okay. I misjudged that one by a lot. It does fly. Well, it's been awesome. So, been quite the journey. For sure. Uh, So moving on to the journey, what is it you do here? So give everyone a little snapshot on the types of clients you work with, how you help them, types of valuations, just a little little overview. Yeah, no. I mean, I I have a super diverse client base. I mean, I work with the largest for-profit and not-for-profit health systems in the country, all the way down to super small physician groups and really everywhere in between. We work in all different types of verticals, uh, you know, lab, imaging, oncology is big. Uh, most of my clients actually leverage our FMV tool process, which was what we developed about 10 years ago to provide a more cost-effective and expedient valuation solution for very specific types of provider comp arrangements. Uh, so that's been super successful. The typical projects we're doing, it's, it's all manner of provider contract valuation. So everywhere from employment uh, to PSAs, call coverage, administrative functions, Uh, We do a lot of bundle payment reviews where we're allocating payments within a bundle. Telemedicine has been huge. So really a a huge gambit. Everything, the the provider contract valuation space is super wide. So it's it's a big, big umbrella. Yep. You've you've hit it all, 15 years of it, right? And a little on the FMV tools front, you know, that's been growing, evolving for many, many years. And we do have 2024 is going to be pretty cool. We're doing some giant things with that. I don't think we want, we'll keep it a secret, but it's big things to come. Big things to come. All right. That'll be for the next podcast with us. Okay. So great to have you. And I always think it's kind of cool that, you know, having done this together and watched the evolution of this space, it's neat to see what pops up each year and what's hot and what's no longer relevant. So for this one, I thought we could just highlight three physician arrangement trends that I think we're going to keep seeing in 2024. So that's where I want to focus because there's a lot we could cover. But first, all this insight that we're tackling today really came from VMG Health's 2023 Physician Alignment Tips and Trend Report. So we put that out every two years. It's a huge report. It covers all sorts of things from strategy to compliance. So we're just focusing on one little piece for it. But I know that your group, Ben, a lot of the folks that work with you put a lot into this report. So you want to just kind of mention a few of the topics they covered and what readers will be able to expect. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the PAT is, it's such a huge lift every two years, but it's such a valuable research 
vehicle for us internally and then also the industry. I mean, I, I we're, we're diving into a lot of different topics in physician alignment. Big thanks to my group. I, I've got a big group of folks and I think most all of them contributed, uh, which I'm so thankful for. But yeah, we this year we have a huge section on the current state of telehealth in America from a legislative and reimbursement standpoint. Telemedicine has been just an incredibly active space really for the last 10 or 15 years, but really so since COVID the last three or four years, it's just exploded. So that's a great section. Tangentially, you know, semi-related, we have a, a big section on some of the troubling trends, you know, we've seen with the increase in physician burnout, along with some of the strategies that health systems have used to mitigate burnout with telemedicine being you know, one of the big ones. And lastly, you know, a, a very comprehensive section on the latest developments uh, and trends in the regulatory environment with really nice summaries on uh, what areas are being scrutinized more frequently and what some of the more hot button compliance issues that the government is really honing in on. Yep. Yep. Now you guys did a huge lift on this for us and really appreciate it. We've also had a lot of folks reach out saying how much they appreciate the report and how good it is and they use it for this and their board meetings. So thank you all. Thank you to your team. And really the last thing on the PAT report is we also have a giant section on PE and how they participate in the physician space, as well as an excellent coding section that is really, really great for practices on optimizing reimbursement and areas of risk. So there's the PAT report. Um, So what we did is you and I worked together to pull three trends that we thought from a comp model we're going to start seeing even more at the end of the year and into 2024. So these are, one, the move towards single specialty-focused compensation models, two, more value-based care components included in comp plans, and then three, we're definitely seeing an increase in the need for coverage arrangements. So that's what we're going to hit, you and I. I want to start with the single specialty trend. So I know we've seen for many years how hospitals have focused on elevating their specialty service lines. So I'm talking orthopedics, cardiology. They're doing things such as, you know, becoming a center of excellence. So there's been a single specialty focus at the hospital level. And it seems like that trend is trickling down and really starting to impact how leaders are developing physician comp models. So I was wondering, Ben, what requests are you seeing from your clients to make you think this is going to continue? Yeah, no, it's been a very noticeable shift. I mean, I I think 10 plus, 10 to 15 years ago, the multi-specialty group model was was definitely the in vogue approach. Um, And it has a lot of of big strengths, right, and benefits that are associated with it. You know, and when I say multi-specialty group model, the the approach that the health systems would take would be to uh, wrap all of their medical and surgical specialties under one corporate umbrella with, you know, the big benefits being streamlined operations and, you're presenting to your community a very comprehensive care mindset, like you've got all the solutions, yep. right, that that community might need. The coordinated care vibe. Yes, for sure. And there's a lot of financial efficiencies, too, that go along with it. If you're if you're all one big medical group, it's sharing of admin costs and overhead. Yep. Uh, and it's still really common, for sure. But we've definitely seen a marked shift here as of late, 
with health system clients pursuing that more single specialty focus. And I, I think the big benefit that we see, or I, I guess maybe the big mindset or strategy that we see these health systems employing is really trying to differentiate their service lines and raise a flag to the community that they are the experts, right? They have the experts in cardiovascular care or experts in neurosciences, like you said, pursuing centers of excellence, yep. right? Uh, it's a big branding push to the to the marketplace that um, this is where the experts are that you need, right? Yep. Uh, and it's been incredibly successful for those that have pursued it. You know, I think from our standpoint, when we're talking about compensation models, there's also a variety of nuances associated with different specialties that you can't fully capture in a multi-specialty philosophy or approach, right? Yep. I think the most common specialties that we're seeing this around uh, definitely cardiovascular, orthopedics, uh, neurosciences, oncology is really big. And the requests from clients have been, hey, VMG, can you help us set up something specific related to our group and how they practice and how unique they practice, right, that yep. appropriately captures the value that they bring? Um, and it might not be the exact same as what we do with the specialist next door. It might not be what we do with the primary care group, right? But something that makes sense for them. And I think that gets uh, a lot more buy-in too from the physician side being really heard, right? Yep. Like feeling like that health system is being a partner with them, really understanding their business, right? So uh, the ones we've seen have been quite successful. Um, and again, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the requests around are, are around specific service line yeah. Uh, model development. And I know you've seen a lot of that. With I have. Yeah. I have. So it's, you know, employment model, it's hospital level, bundled payments. So we're, we're talking single specialty focus where we've seen it way back. I mean, it started in 08 and it continues to grow every year is in co-management. So co-management is when you, you know, engage a group that's specialized in, let's say, orthopedics, and they help manage your service line to get better quality outcomes. So again, that would be a comp model thing tied to single specialties. So huge trend. I think it'll continue. I think you said it right. Branding is what's happening out there. So that is good stuff. With all that coming into play in the comp models, are you seeing any sort of, you know, slowdown on the work RBU productivity type model? I, I mean, I, I think Percy performed productivity and, and comp per work RVU is definitely still the underbelly of most every comp model that we're seeing. Yes, in these, you know, in these more nuanced models, we've seen a we've seen a mindset that potentially work RVUs aren't appropriately capturing the true value of what, you know, a particular highly specialized group might be doing, right? We're, yep. We've seen a lot of team care um, models lately, right? Where you've got multiple physicians in the room providing, you know, care to a single patient. Work RVs may or may not, you know, really be super uh, reflective of the true value that 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 model, that approach is bringing, right? So we've seen, we've certainly seen uh, in those types of circumstances a drifting from just pure, you know, what we would have seen in 2012, just straight dollar per work RVU, you know, type approach. That said, comp per work RVU is definitely still the, the 
predominant. Yeah, that's going to take a while as that fades. But we're seeing a ton of just specialized comp models. And as part of those, a lot of times you're seeing quality outcomes or shared savings or some sort of value-based care component to those. So switching gears to value-based care and the growth of value-based care within compensation models, what are you guys seeing? What type of components in these comp models and which ones do you think are you're going to continue to grow into 2024? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's incredibly common today for most every comp model to have some level of a value-based component, right? It definitely depends on the type of arrangement that we're looking at, whether it's employment or PSAs. Uh, but in terms of compensation components, I mean, I think most typically we see these are going to be set at risk dollars, generally tied to very specific outcomes or processes. Uh, but the overarching goal is measured improvement, right? Uh, the health system is looking to get an outcome out of this, right? They want to move the needle. Sure. Um, so, I mean, it definitely depends, like I said, on the type of arrangement and the type of specialty. I mean, for for surgeons, it tends to be more tied to benchmarked outcomes and efficiencies, right? For primary care, it's going to be more panel management uh, and opening up access to care, right? Which is a a little counterintuitive or counterbalanced against that traditional fee-for-service mindset, which is really interesting. But yes, no, I mean, I I think the slow trickle, in my experience over the last 15 years, I mean, value-based care has always been on the forefront right mm-hmm. and it's always like it's always been this gradual shift uh, from volume to value and every year it's just more and more and more it hasn't been the humongous explosion you know that yep. maybe we everyone thought. expected uh, but it's it's also not stopped it's not reverted nope it's happening it's growing and you know back on the original theme it is specialty specific you know, when we do quality valuations, we're like, okay, are these metrics relevant for this specialty? So same sort of theme going on. Now, when you do evaluation, when you get an agreement, and there's all sorts of components to it, including a value-based care component, you know, how do you tackle these in an FMV opinion? Because I know it, it can be a little bit more challenging than just looking at survey data. Yeah, no, it, it definitely can be tricky. Uh, I mean, I, I think broadly speaking, if we're talking about the most direct, you know, maybe the shortest and sweetest approach, uh, if we can at all validate that the total cash compensation is within range. And and by total cash compensation, I mean, you know, anything that might be guaranteed in that comp model, and then assuming the physicians earned or were paid this bonus, you know, what would that max payout be? If we could validate that max end under a traditional approach, obviously, that's that's completely supportable and checks the compliance box. Right, looking uh, for a cushion. Yes, looking for that F&V cushion um, when possible advising withholds in models because I think that's just, it's much cleaner. Yep. That said, it's not going to fit every circumstance, right? Um, and so when we're, when we're actually having to value uh, a quality incentive, it really depends on what those metrics are. Are, are they outcomes driven or are they more process driven? Uh, are they stretch goals? Are those goals going to be set at rates consistent with national top decile performance on that metric? Is it like a benchmarkable metric is really key? Right. Are there any sort of third party dollars tied to that outcome itself? Like is 
a commercial payer going to reimburse that health system an extra 10% because the physician hit that mark? Those are all critical. Easier to support, right? If you got money coming in. Much easier. Okay. Good deal. Yeah. And I know we've done a lot of valuations uh, on my team with value-based care. And one thing we would always do is look at governmental programs. Like, okay, well, Medicare does this. So if they do that, we could do that. So worst case, we're in the in the court of law, arguing our fair market value opinion, if we can say, hey, this looks just like the MIPS program, then we're like, okay, that's a good way to go. Or this is how Blue Cross Blue Shield does it. So it's it's definitely um, not as straightforward as other valuations. But, you know, I think there's always a way to tackle it as long as you've got market data and you understand how governmental programs work. So I think we've been doing it the right way. Um, so on kind of just concluding the whole, okay, we've got this value-based care component in here on this, you know, comp model, specialty specific, all sorts of things going on. Is there anything that you think listeners should watch out for when you get one of these big models that have a lot going on that we really haven't covered yet? Yeah, I mean, I I think the topic of stacking is really important, especially when you're looking at multiple uh, compensation components within an arrangement. You know, stacking is a huge, it's a huge thing. It's not even, it's not just relative to quality um, incentives, uh, but whenever you're looking at multiple comp components, making sure that that baseline resource that you're using to justify uh, a specific compensation piece, like let's say a, a base salary or a compensation rate per work RVU, making sure you understand what that truly reflects, right? Like our traditional market surveys are reporting total cash compensation. Yep. That's everything under the sun. So if you're going to be stacking on additional dollars on top of an employment arrangement for, you know, a quality upside, I, I think it would be prudent to appropriately look at those market surveys and make a consideration for the fact that there is likely, especially increasingly so year after year, an, an impact in those survey rates of quality dollars. It's already right? in there. Yeah. Yep. And it's grown. We look at it every year and watch it grow and, um, Think about that at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is a lot of stuff, but I think that's a good kind of ties up the whole comp models and all the things that are in them and what we're expected in 24. Um, There's a different trend that I want to hit. This is the third trend that we'll see in 2024 continue, which is the growth in coverage arrangements. So, I mean, this is all over the place. Everyone's talking about it. It's, It's a big financial impact. So, Ben, can you just give listeners an overview of why you think we're seeing the surge and a need for coverage arrangements that wasn't there prior, and if it will stay, what specialties are being impacted, just to give everyone a little overview of what's going on out there. Yeah, no, I mean, I, this has been such a hot area for us in terms of valuation requests, uh, and when you say coverage arrangements, I mean, this is this is typically in the context of hospital-based coverage and and hospital-based specialties, right? So hospitalists, intensivists, critical care, anesthesia is really huge. The main reasons why we're seeing this surge in valuation requests, uh, I I think it's it's two main reasons. One, these groups are under more financial pressure from a reimbursement standpoint than ever before. Uh, CMS has had multiple years of conversion factor declines. There's another one projected for 2024 specific to anesthesia with the No Surprises Act. I mean, these these groups, whereas in the past they've been able to subsist on 
commercial and governmental reimbursement are now looking to their hospital and surgery center partners to support them. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, they maybe never had that before. Right. Yeah. It, they just build and collect and they were fine. Especially with anesthesia. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that's been huge. And I think too, just on the expense side of it, Provider costs are continuing to surge. I mean, I, I think there's specific provider types. We, we've, we've seen a lot of focus on APPs uh, and the lack of supply and the difficulty to attract and source APPs into specific markets that's driving up their cost. Uh, same on anesthesia. CRNAs are incredibly hard to find. Yeah, I've heard um, the most hard. Yeah, yep. definitely so. And and in some markets, we're seeing comp rates for CRNAs that aren't even within ranges of you know, observable pay from five years ago. Wow. So it's it's been huge. And so if you're if you've got a group that's been operating for years and years and years that suddenly has surging expenses and tightened reimbursement, you have to you have to turn to your hospital and ASC partner to find that support, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's a good segue because a lot of folks have not had to do this. And I mean, I don't want you to walk through the valuation process, you know, because that's not really <laughs> not that interesting. I mean, it is, but, you know, in general, <laughs> I'm someone that's like, oh my gosh, these people are asking for money. I've never had to pay my anesthesia group. Can you give listeners just a couple tips? Like, what do they need to do? What type of documents do they need to get to get? What's the high level approach to, to valuing a coverage arrangement? What should they, how should they prepare? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think especially we're seeing this a lot with surgery center uh, management companies because I, I think for them, Historically, they've not had to provide much financial support to yeah. independent groups, right, especially with anesthesia. So, I mean, what we typically say, I mean, obviously documenting fair market value is paramount. Uh, you really have to understand the facts and circumstances behind that coverage, right? So the big diligence items for us are understanding any sort of revenue estimate that this group might be presenting to you, right? Are they presenting to you a, a pro forma of what they expect to collect and what are the, you know, digging at what the underlying facts are behind that estimate or are they presenting to you a historical snapshot? You know, really understanding what that revenue assumption is is really important. And, and doing the extra digging to say, are they collecting what they should, right? We've yeah. seen a lot of these instances where, you know, the group... Uh, aligns with these hospitals or, or surgery centers for the first time and feels like maybe I don't need to try as hard at, yep. you know, tracking down yeah. my bills and you know, my getting, collections are guaranteed. So who cares? That's right. The risk shifts. So making sure that underlying revenue estimate, you know, um, is reasonable relative to the volume, relative to the case volume. Right. Uh, and likewise on the staffing side, you know, making sure that the provider comp projection makes sense. And, and when I say makes sense, I mean, if there's a if there's a preset coverage hours expectation, right, if the hospital's requiring you to cover a certain, you know, a, a certain set of hours or use a certain rotation, right, are the underlying provider cost estimates, does that make sense relative to uh, that coverage hours expectation? Like, Required FTEs, do they make sense? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And and likewise too, does the is the volume a factor? Is is the group having to cover 
um, you know, what we would call a, a potentially above market level of, uh, of patients or cases or generating an above market level of work RVU productivity. All of that could drive where in the scale that provider comp range should fall. But also to the earlier point, there are certain specialties where it's truly the market demand for those providers that's driving the rate. So yeah. doing the diligence on going market rates within specific areas for APPs, for CRNAs, I think it's a really prudent process. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it is pretty basic. It's revenue and expense, right? For sure. <laughs> right? How, how many humans and what's the market rate and make sure the revenue's right. Okay. Well, that's good because I know a lot of people have just never had to deal with that. So super helpful. Uh, so Ben, I mean, that was great. <laughs> I sure, was I, it? I, yeah, I hope you're right. I hope it helped listeners. That was fun at least. Yeah. No, it. did you? Okay, good. Cause, um, that's, that's really it. We wrapped it up, but I do want to remind everyone before I kind of hit our last three points that we've got teams dedicated to not only all this FMB stuff, but compensation design, physician alignment strategies. So we're here to help. And just for the little recap of this episode, first is we've got single specialty focus, which we think are going it's going to continue in the compensation models as part of hospital strategy. Second, value-based care continues to grow and impact compensation models for both employed and independent contractor arrangements. And third, the need for coverage agreements will likely continue both in the hospital and the ASC setting. So Ben, always a pleasure. I appreciate your excellent insight. And I want to make sure listeners know they can reach out to you anytime with questions. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. Anytime. And thanks, Jen. Yeah, of course. Yay. Everybody take care. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Download with BMG Health. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts to receive new episodes when they release the first Wednesday of each month. You can also go to vmghealth.com or visit the episode notes to follow VMG Health's monthly newsletter and to learn more about this conversation.